the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Colorado Issues. I'm your host, David Venzetter. Typically, this show focuses on non-political issues that are of interest to our listeners. However, today, we may be skirting the edge on that rule. And my guest is Rahil Raza, Clarion Project Advisory Board member, a founding member of the Muslim Reformer Movement, international human rights activist, filmmaker, and last but not least, grandmother. I think that's very important. Rahil, welcome. Thank you so much. So what we're talking about today is the radicalization of young American Muslims and how to stop it. So give me an idea of the numbers here. What's going on out there? Well, according to uh, reports by security agencies and especially in America, over 500 uh, youth have been uh, uh, manipulated into going and fighting with ISIS and or joining the extremist causes. And this is, of course, across the Western world, and they believe that more than 100 of them are from the United States. So it's an issue that is not on the front burner for many people. Uh, they are aware of uh, violent extremism that takes place in terms of terrorist attacks, of which we've seen many. But um, people are not necessarily aware that uh, there is an ideology uh, behind all this, and that uh, there is a radicalization going on of youth, and uh, this is what the extremists are selling. So, wh- what is is what does this look like to to a, a a young person who you know is is not radicalized, but st- what draws them into that that process? Well, the extremists are very clever. They prey on young people who are isolated who have a vacuum in their lives, uh, who may not have family support or social support. And they find them, they prey on the Internet. And as you know, with the way lifestyles are going, there are many thousands of such youth, uh, you know, who are sort of at loose ends. And they have some sort of anger because young people have anger in them against anything, the administration, the status quo, against what they believe to be injustices. And they find them. And then they uh, attract them by saying that they're going to join a brotherhood. or It's like a cult. It's the way that drug gangs operate. Uh, It's it's the way that, uh, you know, other gangs operate by sucking young people into this feeling of belonging, into a kind of a a brotherhood where they feel that they're part of a movement that's going to make a difference. And so uh, these young people who are already angry and who are already isolated, attach themselves to this idea that somehow they're going to bring change to the world, that they have a purpose. And they don't really know what they're being asked to do. And they go abroad to fight, and then they find uh, what the reality is. And this, by the way, is happening to both Muslim and non-Muslim youth. As you may have uh, read from the reports, there are both um, Muslim and non-Muslim young people who have been uh, sucked into this violent ideology. So you touched on, you know, what happened, well, a little bit about what happens uh, when they get sucked into this process. So let's let's delve into that a little further. What does it look like for these kids when they get overseas and, you know, what kind of future are they looking at? 
looking at the future of either being killed in uh, suicide bombings, being trained as terrorists, being violent. And then when the romance falls off, some of them who are lucky enough to be alive come back. But they come back filled with this anger and violence. And uh, it's very difficult to rehabilitate them because they've been brainwashed into this idea that the West is evil and that the values of the West are evil and they must be destroyed from within. This is what the mandate of the extremists is. They're at war with the West, and they believe that everything the West stands for is evil and that it must be destroyed, and they'll use any means to uh, to fulfill their aim. And uh, this idea of using young people in many cases in uh, parts of uh, the world where the terrorists live, they use children uh, because it's easy for them to uh, use them for their nefarious purposes. So we need to be on guard. We need to be careful. And uh, the Clarion Project is producing a documentary in the fall called a Jihad Generation, in which they reveal the stories of those parents whose children had been radicalized who had been sucked into this ideology, and they, they talk to them, and they're trying to produce a campaign of education to uh, educators, to law enforcement, so that they can look for these signs and hopefully intervene before it's too late. So can these, these kids be deprogrammed if we can get to them at somehow some point? Well, we have to try. We don't know yet, but yes, there are always rehabilitation programs for those who are in gangs and, you know, who are into... Uh, these, these violent uh, cults. So we believe that, yes, they can be rehabilitated because what they need to be told is given an alternate narrative. They need to be told that, uh, you know, what the dangers are of where, where they are going, where their lives are threatened. And, uh, you know, this is not the way to deal with whatever issues that they have. They have to be told that there is a democratic process and that they can fall back on counselors, teachers, uh, just as we do with, with other kinds of um, uh, criminal offenses. And so this is a new movement that has just started. It's a new campaign, and we want to see uh, how well we can educate the people who are involved in it. You see, the adults need to be aware. If you're not aware of a virus, how are you going to isolate it, and how are you going to find a treatment for it? And this is what the virus is. It's the virus of Islamist extremism, it's the virus of jihadism, and, and for some young people it's attractive because, you know, it deals with, with violence, it deals with power, patriarchy, it's, it's a macho kind of a thing. So, so they have to be deprogrammed. Exactly. So, so you touched on the, the radicalization of Islam. So, I had a conversation with with a number of of local uh, Muslims who are you know would consider themselves moderate, uh, and and they feel very violated by the ideologies of the radical Islamists and like their their religion has been hijacked. Can can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, um, of course, because this is something that, that we have seen happening in my lifetime, at least. Uh, you know, this wave of violence and this ideology came on the backs of billions of petrodollars. Uh, according to, to one report, uh, you know, over $2 billion have been spent on this ideology. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's an ideology that is not a, an ideology of compassion or mercy or love. It's uh, an ideology that has politicized uh, my faith, and I have often been known to say that I believe that they have stolen my faith, the spiritual message of my faith. And uh, we have to take back 
the soul of, of Islam in that sense, because uh, if we just stick to spirituality and worship, we live in the West where we have total freedom of religion. Muslims can, uh, you know, uh, practice their faith any day where they want. But when it comes to violence and oppression or imposing it on someone else, then we have to push back. Unfortunately, for the last 40, 50 years, as this ideology was growing, many of us didn't even realize that it was festering, uh, you know, in the underground, that this was something that was coming through incitement and hate and messages. And the most important thing we've learned is that no one is born a terrorist. No one is born an extremist. They are radicalized by someone. We need to find where the messages are coming from, whether they are coming from some mosques or institutions or organizations or individuals. And we need to create a counter-narrative. We need to give these kids something uh, that is worth living for. I was in Minneapolis uh, a month ago, but I met a young activist from the Somali community. And young people from the Somali community have been uh, sucked away to go and fight with Al-Shabaab, which is a Somali extremist group, and the mothers are crying. Uh, they have a group called Mothers Against Youth Radicalization, and they said, yes, we know our kids are being radicalized, but we don't know where the messaging is coming from, and they're asking for help. So this is one aspect of this jihadi ideology that we have not looked at very closely, and we want to do that now. Where is the incitement coming from? Where is the hate coming from? And we need to stop it before it's too late. I, as you mentioned, I'm a mother and a grandmother. The future of our next generations depend on us standing up and speaking out, despite the pushback and despite the denials from many, many people. Well, it seems an uphill battle for you, and I commend you for, for taking on that battle. Uh, commentator and activist uh, Brigitte Gabrielle uh, has said that modern Muslims are irrelevant and that throughout history, radicals have, have driven the agenda. Uh, how do you change that paradigm? Well, first of all, I don't agree with that. They have always been uh, moderate Muslims. I mean, obviously, 1.6 billion Muslims are not all terrorists and extremists. Uh, you know, there are people who we call the silent majority who just, you know, do their jobs nine to five or not involved either way. But we change the paradigm by having a better narrative than those of the extremists. Although the extremists are fewer in percentage, but still it's a very high number. And it is something that we as Muslims have to worry about. This is why the Muslim reform movement that works internally to bring about that change. We want to change the way in which Muslims interpret, implement, and understand the Quran in their lives. We want to bring them into the 21st century. Uh, we want to help them understand that some notions that may have existed in the 7th century historically because of the way life was, don't have to be applied in the 21st century. That uh, those of us who have chosen to come and live in the West need to teach our children about compassion and mercy and, and tolerance and also about uh, being able to discuss these issues and have loyalty to the land in which we live. So the, the dining room tables, uh, you know, the work that we do internally is the, with the reform movement. But then we also have to work with law enforcement, with uh, uh, secret service, with security agencies, educators, because uh, every average person needs to know that there is a difference between Islam as a faith and Islamism, which is the political ideology that we are backing. So uh, in the local mosque, is this, is this openly being uh, propagated, this radicalization, or is it 
more clandestine and, and hush hush. You, you mean the solution or the problem? Or, or are you asking me if radicalization is openly discussed, or the the solutions to radicalization? Uh, no, radicalization, not the solutions. Well, in, uh, radical messages are given very subtly. I mean, nobody in in in, a, in the Western world in a mosque will ask the attendees uh, or the congregants to go and kill someone. They know that it's against the law. But the extremists or the, or the, the Islamists, we call them, those who follow this political ideology, are very clever. Uh, they use subtle messaging. It's, uh, you know, us and them, that the values of the country you live in, the people you meet are not the same as yours. You are better. There is a, a segment of Islamist supremacy. And, you know, when there are white supremacists like the KKK and the neo-Nazis, everybody comes out and condemns them. But when we have Islamist supremacy, uh, political correctness holds people back from saying this is wrong. So it is an attitude of Islamist supremacy that is given. It, the messaging is well within the parameters of the law. They're, they know the system very well, and they use our very freedoms against us. So Islamophobia it, it must be an impediment to you in, in having people come to the table and say this is a, an issue that we all have to address. Oh, I can't even begin to tell you. I am totally against the term Islamophobia. Islamophobia is a term that was coined by the Islamists right after 9-11 to stop any kind of discussion, debate, criticism of Muslims and Islam. Now, I know Islam is an idea. It is open to criticism, just like Christianity, Judaism. Every faith is open to discussion and debate. Uh, we are not special as a Muslim. I don't want uh, special commendation or special rules that say that my faith can't be discussed. I'm open to anyone asking the most difficult question. And when we understand that a radical jihadist ideology is the biggest threat go globally today, you know, there have been other threats, communism, fascism, Marxism. Today, it's uh, this global jihadist ideology. And every citizen of every country has the right to ask uh, important questions about the safety and security of their children and of the land in which they live. So we must have open discussion and debate. And Islamophobia, or the concept of Islamophobia, totally stops that because if you say something, you will be called a bigot and a racist. Therefore, it becomes doubly important for people like me, who are practicing observant Muslims, to stand up and speak out and say, hey, we have a problem. Let's talk about it. So how receptive has your effort been uh, within the local uh, Muslim communities? Not as much as we would like, but slowly people are coming around to accepting that there is a problem. I mean, it's so clear. It's black and white. They don't have to take my word for it. When you wake up every morning and you cringe at the idea that where will the next terrorist attack have taken place, uh, obviously they know that there is a problem. How open are they to discussion and debate? It depends. Uh, if they're influenced by the community, you know, people are, are very concerned about political norms, about political correctness, about being popular, something I gave up 
a long time ago. <laughs> I don't want to be popular. I want to be truthful. And so uh, there are people, uh, many thousands of followers of, on, for the Muslim reform movement. And, uh, you know, if you compare the reform in the Christian world, which took 500 years, uh, you'll appreciate that we are at the very beginning of even acknowledging that there needs to be a reform in the way we practice our faith. So it's an ongoing discussion. Uh, there are religious leaders involved. We have imams on our side. And it's not something that's going to happen overnight, maybe not even in my lifetime. But we have to sow the seeds of change. Uh, there are people who have to stand up and say, violence is wrong, oppression of women is wrong, um, you know, uh, abusive, uh, abusing uh, gays and people who follow a different lifestyle is wrong. So that is how the change comes. So, you know, how far ahead in this process is Europe compared to the United States as far as the radicalization of, of youth? Oh, they're way ahead. You have to understand that they've been at this for far longer than we realized that there was a problem. I mean, our our organization and the work we do was talk, were talking about there being a problem before 9-11. And you also have to appreciate that this is a war of ideas. It's not a war of weapons. And we do have better ideas, but there's so many things that hold us back, the regressive left, uh, you know, political partisanship. And I often remind my listeners and my audience, that this is a nonpartisan issue. When a bomb goes off in the city square, it doesn't look to see how you vote. It doesn't look at the color of your skin or what you believe. It impacts all of us. So if this is happening in America, it's an American problem and it needs an American solution, which means everyone needs to be involved. But the extremists are way ahead of us because they love to see us fight with each other. They love to see the pushback. They don't like women speaking out. And as I said, they have billions of dollars and millions of people at their disposal. And they have been, while you and I are talking, they continue to promote their ideology uh, through books, through curriculum, and there are not enough people standing up and speaking out against them, and they love that. Sure. So uh, let's take a look. Uh, it's interesting to me what's going on in Saudi Arabia. You know, prior to the last uh, events of the last year, the, the Wahhabist movement seemed to have been the, the, the linchpin, the lynch point for, for uh, radical Islam. But now we see uh, the crown prince, uh, uh, Mohammed uh, bin Salman, who is yeah. making, you know, just dramatic and radical changes uh, in his country. So is that going to get a foothold? Does he have a purchase there, or is he, is he on shaky ground? Uh, is that, a, you know, the direction that Islam needs to go? It is definitely the direction that Islam needs to go. It's a direction that these countries need to go, because, uh, you know, they have been oppressive for so long, and any change is a good change. Uh, there will be pushback, of course, because when any time you want to change the status quo, you have the religious uh, right, you have the clergy who will push back very hard because their power is at stake. Uh, you know, in these countries, which are theocracies like Iran and Saudi Arabia, it is uh, the religious leaders who have always had a hold. I mean, the leadership of the king and so on are just in name. The, the main power has been behind the religious clerics. When that power is taken away from them, they push back and they rebel. 
But uh, some of the steps that King Salman has, has taken, at least what he has said he will do, is definitely a step in the right direction, especially with regards to women's rights. And, you know, that has been a, a very important part and a large part of the work that I do speak about the rights of women in Muslim-majority societies. I mean, you look at the women in Iran who came out in the streets to rebel against the theocracy. They have been arrested, uh, you know, they have been abused, but they continue to, to speak out. So when uh, the, the people of a, of a country, of a society, uh, rebel and push back against theocracies and oppression, that is where real change comes. We from the outside can only support them. The Western world can't impose their form of freedoms and democracies on these countries because it's a different paradigm. But we can uh, support the people to bring about change. We can stand up for them. We need to be in solidarity from them, with them. And I'm so disappointed that the Women's March does not address the issues of Muslim-majority societies. They won't touch it. Uh, you know, when they march, do they talk about honor killings and forced and underage marriage and female genital mutilation and the women of Iran? No, they don't. So, you know, this is not uh, something that is only for women in the Western world. When we talk of human rights, they have to be for everyone. So you, you touched on Iran. So, I mean, uh, I remember the very dramatic scene of the of the young woman with her uh, hijab being waved, and, and now I understand she's she's, she's been jailed. But this is going back to what, uh, and I know that you dispute what she says, but Brigitte Gabrielle says, you know, that, that uh, the radicals run the agenda. So in, in Iran, you're talking about 80% of the country roughly would identify as secular, but this very small majority, or minority rather, of uh, a radical Islam runs the show. So, you know, and I think when, when there were signs of revolt in Iran recently, I think we were all rooting for that and we're hoping that it, that it uh, took root. Uh, but it was it was squashed. How close are they to overcoming those those uh, mullahs? Well, from what we've heard, there have been um, uh, you know revolutions in, in the smaller cities and all over the country. And once a movement like this starts, it's very hard to stop. What many people don't go don't know, and you know, unfortunately, mainstream media doesn't report that there has been change in many of these countries by women standing up and speaking out. Uh, the women of Morocco brought about change in the polygamy laws. Uh, the women of Tunisia had the law changed, which uh, allows now Muslim women to marry non-Muslim men. Now, this is huge because it goes directly against uh, Sharia laws. So, uh, uh, you know, Ms. Gabriel may not be looking at some of the inner workings that is that are going on, the grassroots activists. And, of course, we as Muslim women are involved in these movements, and we see the change uh, that is being brought about in Egypt, uh, where uh, female genital mutilation was the highest percentage uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the Middle East or in the Arab world. Uh, now they have laws uh, against an uh, FGM, and the first uh, parents uh, were pros- prosecuted by a lawyer that we work with, a human rights lawyer. He brought a case against parents who had forced their child to have FGM. And when you, when you look at the percentages in America, where we are told by the Population Reference Bureau that almost uh, half a million girls and women are at risk of uh, female genital mutilation, we understand that the problem is not only there, it's here as well. I don't 
believe deep down uh, that uh, the radicals rule the Muslim world. I believe they have a loud voice. They have a large funding. Uh, we have let this happen for such a long time that uh, we need to bring about that change. And I'm optimistic that the change will come when more and more moderate Muslims, progressive liberal Muslims start speaking out. And if we can get the silent majority to raise their voices, then we will have a win-win situation. So perception, you know, in in most cases is reality. So for many years when the United States was uh, oil dependent on the Middle East. We we seem to look the other way when dealing with uh, our Muslim uh, allies uh, in many things that happen. But now that the United States is, has has uh, made big progress and that we're energy independent, uh, is, is that going to make a big difference? It's already making a difference. Why do you think Saudi Arabia is pulling up its stocks? not because they love human rights, because they see the writing of the, on the wall. And they know that the Western world will not be dependent on oil for far much longer. So they have to bring about change. And it's only this current president who has actually gone to the Middle East and, you know, slapped them on the backs of the hands and said, you know, clean up your act. So we see the changes coming. And, uh, yes, the dependency on oil was a very incestuous issue. We can't undermine, uh, you know, the, the fact that Western leaders have in many cases looked the other way when they saw human rights abuse because of their dependence on on these oil-bearing countries. And they still continue to do it. Uh, and, you know, the work that we do uh, can't uh, be dependent on the relationship of Western leaders with these countries. We have to continue to speak out. Uh, it doesn't matter whether it's Saudi Arabia or whether it's the land of my birth, which is Pakistan. Uh, what is wrong and evil is wrong. And we have to speak out. We have to be honest about that. And that's uh, the only way that change will come. So I want we're, we're going to be running short on time in just a minute here. I wanted to let you talk about the Clarion Project and, and how people can get involved and, and, and give us a little bit more information there. Thank you. The Clarion Project actually works towards exposing the dangers of radical Islam and giving voice to human rights activists like myself. They do this through films and they do this through education. Uh, people can sign up for their newsletter, which will give them all the information about what's happening in the world of radicalization and also the positive side of it, which is www.clarionproject.org. And what's very important is they should look at the new kids film that's coming out uh, in the fall, which which is called Jihad Generation, and this is a campaign to educate uh, people about incitement, about hate, and about how young people are radicalized. And I think it will be very educational for them. And we are going to start this campaign of educating uh, parents, educating teachers, uh, organizations, and we hope that it will make a change. Rahil Raza, I applaud you wholeheartedly for your effort. I wish you much success. We're in your corner. We're, we're with you. Uh, and I really appreciate you coming on today and talking about this. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. That's been our pleasure. For Colorado Issues, I'm David Vanzetter.